Welcome to Inspiration Narratives, a short series of conversation highlighting creatives from underrepresented communities. In honoring their work and creativity, we take a deeper dive into the times, moments, and influences that encapsulates why these creatives do what they do, and if, how, and where they use their medium to celebrate the cultures they come from. These are the stories that need to be told. This is Inspiration Narrative. I can think of maybe 2012, 2013. Um, prior to that, I was creating a lot of work within the hardcore punk scene and then the nightlife scene and doing a lot of live performance work, which was, I think at the time, looking back, um, I don't think I realized how monumental creating that work was. Um, just because I was a lot younger um, and I wasn't thinking about legacy as much as I am now. And I had moved back to Brooklyn. Um, I was kind of squatting in New Jersey <laughs> with my friend, um, staying with my friend Tone um, in Hoboken. And when I moved back to Brooklyn um, in 2012 or 2013, I actually moved into my first queer interest. That is, collective housing is, is, you know, not only taking care of the people within your household, but we also um, brought people in who needed housing. So people who are in transition, people who, you know, maybe got kicked out of their homes, um, you know, a lot of different scenarios that leaves people um, without housing. Um, I mean, mostly systemic oppression. Um, and so I moved into my first collective house. And during that time, I think, it, yeah, it was like a September. So like that September until maybe like April of the next year, I had 12 people in my life pass away. Um, a lot of those folks were people that I knew from childhood one person was a coworker because at the time I was um, I had a part time job, and the last person to pass away in that sort of long string of grief was my grandfather, whom I've only met twice, but played such a major role um, in everything. Um, to be honest, and I think at that moment as well was when I had sort of discovered um, and had more access to the language around my gender because I didn't really grow up with, you know, um, accessibility to that language. And so because I was in that house, I met a lot of people who were not cis, who were not straight, and it opened my eyes up to um, this existence that I, um, or that the world <laughs> kind of prohibited me from being a part of. And at that moment, I had to worry about, um, which a lot of, you know, trans, queer, non-binary, gender non-conforming people have to worry about, is losing family, losing their careers, um, you know, losing friends, um, losing housing, losing everything. Um, by simply inviting people, you know, onto your journey with you. And so those were a lot of the things that I was thinking of because I just didn't know, you know, um, you know, I love my parents, but you know, like 
your people, you know, I didn't know how they would, you know, react. Um, I didn't know whether or not, you know, they would, you know, disown me, you know, it's a really real thing. And so I think the only thing that I had, um, at that moment, you know, was my work. Um, and I had to make several promises to myself because I, I knew that the demographic of my, of, of who was watching my work would change. Um, so I lost a lot of clients. I did lose friends. You know, there were a lot of people that exited my life. Um, thankfully, (laughs) um, and, you know, I think within my creative process, you know, I, I, you know, told myself, okay, like, you know, the work that I was making prior, you know, definitely very important, but I don't feel like a lot of myself was being put into that work. And so, you know, I think I had to do a lot of soul searching. I had to think about, you know, what kind of stories do I want to put into the world and not just the stories that maybe encompass my own, um, identities. Um, however, stories that I am not seeing, um, what kind of photographs are young people not, you know, what kind of photographs do young people not have access to? You know, I think in the beginning of my medical transition, I didn't see any kind of like visual, um, narration of other black trans men, you know? Um, and I think that that's really important or the images that I did see were, about, you know, if we did decide to have surgery or if we did decide, you know, that our medical transition would involve, you know, being on hormones, those would be the only stories that were being told. And as important as I think that is, I think there needs to be more versatility in the images in the world. And so that's kind of like that year and having all of those people pass away and then, (laughs) um, you know, sort of beginning my medical transition after my grandfather passed away because I felt like, you know, when he passed away, I, I, um, was reborn in many ways. And so, you know, I had to make a promise to myself that if no matter what happens, um, no matter if I lose clients or if I lose family, that my the dedication that I have to have towards this work is not only for me, but it's for somebody else that needs to see these images. Um, so I would say 2012, 2013 goes in between that time, which is a turning point um, in, in terms of, you know, how I was thinking about images. And in that time, do you say, is that when you got to a point when you said that when you figured out that you wanted to go and, and pursue this professionally and full time and ditch your, your nine to five. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of things fell into line. I mean, like, I think, you know, I was still working, you know, even when I had a, a job, but I think what I, you know, I would say yes. You know, I think I was already, in a position in which I had a workplace that supported me. Um, and as tempting as it was to leave, I decided to stay because I wanted to, um, update their discrimination policy in which I did. (laughs) Um, because gender identity isn't, 
present or at the, during that time it wasn't present within a discrimination policy. Um, so I stayed longer in order to make sure that this, this space, you know, that held me as, as much as it could, um, could be a safe space for other people, um, other trans, queer, um, gender nonconforming folks in the future if they wanted work. But I think, yeah, it just, I think, you know, I, maybe when I started traveling to the West Coast, I decided to leave that job and, you know, pursue this professionally, but also not only pursuing it professionally in New York, because I wasn't getting a lot of work in New York and I'm from New York originally. And so what I decided to do or what I thought of was like, okay, maybe I can go to other places and sort of spread my work in that way um, or spread my business in that way. One thing that you said that was a little disheartening to me was like, you know, you'd lost clients. What would you say the experience is like as a black LGBTQ creative in the world of like visual creativity and visual art and photography and all the things that kind of go into the buckets of the, the, the work that you create? You know, it's, it's really interesting to see how some of the things that I experienced in the past kind of trickle sort of into, you know, my current experiences, you know, it's interesting how in some ways I still like experience misogyny. Um, it's interesting how, well, it's not very interesting. It's actually just, you know, <laughs> it is what it is, but, you know, still, you know, experience anti-blackness and transphobia and homophobia, you know, in these very subtle ways, um, these microaggressions, you know, um, and I don't think that we as a whole are exempt from perpetuating any of that. Um, and I think, you know, my experiences right now, like I have to um, protect myself and I have to demand, you know, the things that I need, you know, I have to, um, you know, negotiate my rates, you know, and I think a lot of people have to do this. Um, but I, but I think that, my existence and my experiences have made me like has forced me to um you know do these things because even as a creative like some people are going to always try to give you the shorthand in any case you know um and i know my value and my value isn't wrapped around my identities per se but i think it's like more about my work like i know you know, what I can bring to the table. Um, I know what I'm good at. Um, and I also know what I need to work on. You know, I know how I need to improve, um, you know, like we all do. But, you know, I think that all of our identities intersect and they do, you know, affect the ways in which people approach us, you know. And, you know, I think a little, the thing that's really discerning about pride, which, you know, I don't celebrate pride um, traditionally. Um, I think pride um especially this year for whatever reason it's just been like co-opted um into this thing that doesn't necessarily celebrate or uplift the the purpose of what happens um on that very day during the stonewall riots and so you know i have to deal with you know, sometimes people only wanted to work with me in June, but like, you know, maybe the 11 other months out of the year, you know, work looks a little bit different. 
And, you know, same with Black History Month. Same, you know, like, I think that we all have to, to deal with these things in, in many different ways. And I've just had to be very vocal, you know. Um, and sometimes, you know, being vocal and being honest with people, you know, sometimes people don't want to work with you, you know, um, you know when, when you say a little bit too much. But I think at this point, I don't care because I definitely do want to make a more accessible space for young Black creatives, especially if they are part of, you know, the TLGBQIA community. Um, And if I don't say anything, you know, I don't know if the next person will say anything because it's very risky, you know? Um, People may label you as egotistical, you know, they may, you know, project all of these things onto you, but I think it's really important for us to be able to just speak up for ourselves and to demand the things that we deserve. That's beautiful. I wholeheartedly agree. What does June and Pride Month mean to you, considering everything that you shared? Pride in June is kind of like, I don't know, like there's pride in every single month, you know, like for me at least. Um, And, you know, I think it serves, you know, an interest in purpose, you know, like I, I don't feel like it's, something that is entirely pointless. I think for young people, it's really great, you know, for them to celebrate themselves, um, you know, when they have the opportunity to. Um, I think it's a time where people, um, if they are willing to, um, they get to educate themselves on the true history of, you know, what happened and also the work that needs to be done. I think... You know, it's, it's, you know, for people that want to use, you know, the month um, or each day for whatever they need to do, you know, whether, whether or not they want to celebrate it, whether or not they don't want to celebrate it. Um, if anything, I just want to see more, you know, Black, you know, trans people or, you know, specifically Black trans women, you know, to be celebrated um, and also to, you know, not be murdered and to continue to live their lives because they deserve that, you know, and, you know, like, I think, yeah, like, you know, I'm, I'm someone who holds like a lot of nuance. So, you know, even if I don't celebrate it again, I think it can serve a purpose. But, you know, I think it's also a collective purpose. I think, you know, I I really want people to, you know, not only focus on, you know, these particular topics in June or in February, but I want people to interrogate, you know, how they are, you know, existing in the world, you know, like what kind of conversations are you having with your friends and family? Um, how are you educating yourself? Because there's a ton of resources out there. And, you know, what I want, you know, even in this capitalist society is for people to just, you know, be able to live their lives and to, you know, be given the necessary basic resources that they deserve, you know, housing, employment, health insurance, you know, um, so they can reach their full potential. You know, it's really heartbreaking when, you know, we have people like Pasano being murdered at 18, 22, you know, 25, Uh, you know, it's like really heartbreaking because they should be here, 
you know, they don't, they shouldn't be our ancestors <laughs> so early on. Um, and so, yeah, I just hope like, you know, moving forward that people are able to, you know, have very, very difficult, difficult conversations, not only with other people, but with themselves, because we always have something to interrogate. We always have something that's internalized, you know, like, even if I'm a trans person, even if I'm black, even if I'm queer, that doesn't mean that I don't have internalized anti-blackness or internalized transphobia, or even internalized femphobia or queerphobia, like we all have something to work on. And so, you know, <laughs> leading with that, I just want people to do that work for themselves because it can be a better place when we do that work. This is Inspiration Narrative, an age of the creative original.